the idea of an alliance because an alliance reminds me of the Justice League, right? And in the Justice League, the Justice League is awesome, not because not because of their, their them as a unit, but because everyone's coming and they're just all equally yoked and they're all equally just like, um, I can handle this battle by myself, but it's so much better when I have people with me because when I have them with me, then we can do whatever. And now you have Batman who has no power running the whole thing and just organizing people and we can all play our roles. And so I, I love the idea of an alliance and that's how we get to the Patriot Podcast. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, this is this is my opportunity to learn so much about Mr. Rivers. I had no idea he knew so much about comic books in the Justice League, but I'm surprisingly not surprised. Huge Batman fan. Uh, welcome to episode one, our first official episode. And we have the wonderful Miss Caymans with us. Miss um, Kate Caymans, do I? Kate Kamins. Okay. Okay. The wonderful Miss Kate Kamins, who took some time off of her well-deserved maternity leave to uh, be with us and talk to us about how we can build a better community. Uh, Dr. Steiger, would you like to say hi to Miss Kamins? Of course. I always like to say hi to Miss Kamins. <laughs> I miss having you around so much. I mean, nobody's really around all that much, but miss seeing you. Um, always one of my my favorite and most valued check-ins. <laughs> Yeah, I miss so, that a lot too. Absolutely. Uh, so we wanted to invite uh, Ms. Caymans into this conversation because we were talking about empathy and we were talking about how to uh, introduce empathy into our community. And really I, the way I'd like you to, to start with us is why is empathy important to have in a school community? Well, so, so just for context for people who are listening, before we we officially fully started this, we were having a conversation, the three of us, and just sort of like riffing and having fun talking about big ideas. And and so our conversation was sort of like winding and going everywhere. So it's a, a I'm working to get my head into a super linear place, but it might be a little winding still. Okay. You know, I I think as people, <laughs> just to start, you know, narrowly, mm -hmm. as people, I think one of the craziest things that is just blows my mind forever is that we are born into these bodies that we have no choice about whatsoever and we pop out into the world in a body you know with a face with a spot in life that has nothing to do necessarily with who we are internally mm -hmm. um and and that feels so big and so complicated and like a lot of growing up in some ways is reconciling ourselves with that like the world receives us in some ways and sometimes at least for me when I was growing up, like I, I could feel the space between my internal self and my external self. Mm. And some of that was around factors of identity. Like, like I like climbing trees and I don't really want to brush my hair and I'm a girl, right? Like some of that distance between internal and external. And, and some of it also is just around factors of like identity in a, in a personality way. So like, I feel like I'm a good person. This person feels like I hurt their feelings and there's pain in that space between those two things. Um, Anyway, and so I think as we grow up in these bodies that we didn't choose, one of the only things we can do to try to have a diversity of experience and understanding is to understand what it would be like in another person's body, another person's mind, um, and empathy is the key to getting to that place. Listening, 
listening to you say that, I, I just have to be honest. Um, you, you talk about like sort of having that recognition as a young person, as a little person to seeing that gap. I never had the introspection as a little person to, to feel that gap, to see that gap, to identify those things. I couldn't have articulated anything like what you just said. Um, I like, I like to climb trees. It's just cause I like to climb trees. There's nothing, there was no baggage to that for me whatsoever. As a parent, I feel this really intensely because I'm thinking about my children who popped into the world and I'm watching them grow, but I never would have had that perspective as a little person. Yeah. That, you know, it's crazy. I had the exact same thought because I was like, when did I realize that there was an internal self? And I was like, is this happening right now? No. Okay. Okay. We're good. Um, but I'm wondering where does that impulse come from to even check that there, that there is a, 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 an internal versus an external self. And when you notice that, what, what's the impulse there? Like, what, what do you want to do? Well, that was a big question. I think, I think for me, it came from, from sort of what I was describing is like, like a feeling of kind of like, it felt mm -hmm. like a pain. Um, mm -hmm. and I think, I think that's one of the things I see with students also. And I don't know that everyone would name it in the same way, but I feel yeah. like, like frequently conversations that, that I'll have with students are around that point. Like, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'm in a fight with my friends. I feel like I've done all these things to make sure they know that I'm trying to manage them and balance my responsibilities mm -hmm. in and out of school. They think that I don't care that much. Like there's this gap, right? Like I feel like I'm like this on the inside. They feel like I'm like this on the outside and it hurts a little. Yeah, yeah. So the world, unfortunately, can't always see our internal self, right? We're, we're rarely, if ever, uh, judge for our intent, but we are very often judged for our impact, right? And, and that is our external self. And we see, especially with uh, social media, with uh, the rise of social media, people putting on this performance to be something that they're not. And I don't, I never wanted to be the one of the person who puts too much blame on social media, right? This is a timeless thing. You, you have the great Gatsby. The whole thing about the great Gatsby is how he's controlling his external self spoiler alert, just Gatsby's a black guy. I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> um, but how we manage our external selves and do we have to make a choice? Do we have to make a conscious choice that one is more important than the other? Or is it because I, I feel like as we grow, the external seems more important. But when we mature, we know the internal is more important. What do you what do you think of that? Dr. Steiger looks like he's deep in thought. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, if there's a point where, um, like is, is part of the point of maturing um, the internal and external growing into some kind of alignment, right? Is that, is that part of the process that, that hopefully, um, you know, one of the things that you see is that, that the space between them shrink because you learn better how to, you know, bring the internal out and you also learn to manage the risks that are inherent in that, right. Mm -hmm. That, that are, that just feel so huge, um, especially in adolescence, right. That the risks of, of being too revealing of yourself um, 
are are so enormous because what happens if that internal self is rejected, mm. right? Um, and that that ideally, as you get older, you get used to the idea that like your internal self is is good enough. Although I can tell you, quite bluntly, um, my time uh, listening to Peloton instructors over the last six months since we we got a Peloton during pandemic. Um, this is still a very prominent message in the world of helping people feel like they are good enough. So like, I, I can't promise that that alignment solves everything, right? But I, I do feel like as an adult, if there was ever a gap that I, I began to perceive in adolescence um, that I don't remember as well as, as Ms. Kamen's articulated, um, it isn't as important anymore, right? Because I've gotten used to myself. I don't know that I've gotten used to myself. I, I think it's, I think it's with maturity you make decisions off of who you're, what you're willing to be wrong about almost, right? And what you're willing to, to uh, fight for, what you're willing to, what you're willing to stand for is a much better way to say that, right? Because even even when when we talked about the the differing ones, right, and them come together. I don't want to give people too much of, of the back behind the scenes of this, but we have our different roles for classrooms. We have our different roles for how we speak to each other, right? I'm thinking a lot more now that I know that this thing is recording versus when we were just kind of talking, right? And so there, there is still that difference. You do still feel that difference, but whereas a teenage year old, teenage Mr. Rivers is like, okay, what do they want to see from me? A more mature Mr. Rivers, maybe not as mature as I will be one day, but a more mature Mr. Rivers is like, okay, well, this is me. And so if, if we're disagreeing about something that is me, we can have that conversation, but that's a different conversation than me trying to be something for, for, for somebody else. So my, my question that that leads me to is, how do other people play a role in our development of that or, or our negotiation of that space between that internal and external self? Well, we know that so much of adolescence is, is about being able to make our own tribes, being able to make our own herds separate from our parents to, to create a unit that we can survive in on our own. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and so what that means is that's the time of our lives when we most need positive feedback from other people who are our own age, mm -hmm. because historically, obviously, we wouldn't be able to survive without them. And so that's important and it's deeply coded in us. Um, and so what that means is when we're getting feedback from people that's affirming our behavior, we're more likely to continue doing that than at any other point in our life. And so we want to be mindful of what kinds of affirmations we're getting from other people and if they're shaping us in the ways we want to be shaped. Hmm. When uh, Mr. Rivers and I started talking about this topic as something that we wanted to talk about, one of the things that, that clearly was at, at the front of mind was kind of the bigger social and cultural divisions that we're experiencing in this world today and how those um, inevitably show up in our classroom spaces, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and so thinking about this idea of tribalism, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about tribalism, you know, as it relates to say our political world today. And so how does that play out in a community that is so grounded in these values of individualism 
of open-mindedness and of sharing when you know we're getting so many messages bombarding us to exclude those who don't agree with us to sort of hunker down bunker in and protect ourselves from the threat that is coming from these others and also encouraging young people to be open-minded and listen and understand and also speak their minds. I, I mean, how do these messages, they, they sound like such conflicting and um, dissonant messages. How does that play out for our students in our classrooms in ways that are still healthy? Yeah. Well, I, I, that, that sort of brings me back to another comic book reference. And I won't name the comic book because people who know the end will know the end in this way. I'm not spoiling for anyone. Um, but one of the greatest comic books ever written ends with a person who was both a hero and a villain having constructed a villain for a society to unite them all together. Um, mm -hmm. and, and by constructing this villain, some lives are lost or in the construction of the villain and the execution of what it's capable of doing. Some lives are lost, but the people who remain come together. And it, I think it sort of begs the bigger question of, do we need an other mm. in order to, to feel united? I would like to think no. I, I would like to think we are, shouldn't naturally divide into tribes. Or if we do, they're around like lovely aspects of affinity that don't have any connected violence or distancing from other people. It can just be like, this is what I enjoy. And it's wonderful you enjoy that too. Um, but sometimes I wonder if there is a part of human nature that likes to have something that's separate in order to feel something that's connected. I, here I'll, I'll don my DEI hat. I think diversity is key. And, and you, you said other and I immediately went diversity because without an other, we're all the same, right? And when we're all the same, when we're all the same, we don't have a real appreciation for any kind of individual, right? And, and for whatever reason, we crave that individual because we are individuals. We're not the same, no matter, no matter what our external presentation is. I have, I have twins in my class and I, I went up to them the other day and I said, all right, tell me the trick. I know there's a trick. There's always a trick that twins have that uh, I can tell one of you apart. He goes, yeah, there's a, there's a birthmark right here. There's always, we're even, even those of us who present most like each other, we're always looking for how am I special, right? And so in the, in the idea of others, right? I think we always need an other because that's how we start to build value for ourselves and the community that we're in. I think a, a bigger problem comes when the values of the tribe overwhelm the values of the individual. And now I'm, now just because you wear a uh, New York giant shirt and I wear an LA Ram shirt, we're gonna fight just because my tribe doesn't like your tribe, right? But individually, I love, I love you, we're great, right? Um, so, so when we're talking about do we need an other, I think that's a fascinating question because others, is really what kind of brings out that individuality of us. I, I've said repeatedly to students when they're they're sort of disagreeing with one another or they're kind of griping about things that they see, well, viewpoint, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I say, imagine if I took a random group of you viewpoint students and I put you in a radically different context, right? Um, I take you to the other side of the planet 
and I put you down in a place where none of you feels really comfortable. Do you realize how quickly you're going to coalesce together and see how similar you all are and how much you share in common, right? And this sort of speaks to that, like, do we need the other? Do we need to be put in that context where we really feel um, the difference between ourselves and others to kind of like pull together? Like, is that the, the magnetism that pulls, pulls people together and helps them see what they share? Right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't last forever, right? Because as people get more comfortable, maybe they, they start to feel other affinities and the, the group pulls apart. But at least for a time, there's going to be a real tightness in that group of viewpoint students plunked down in, you know, wherever. Like imagine the place that you plunk them down if they're surrounded by other people that, that present to them in ways that feel threatening or scary or uncertain. Yeah. They're really going to like each other for a little bit, a lot. A hundred percent. Well, some of what, what I'm hearing and what both of you are saying is that there's an element of insecurity in it. Like, like if you have the best sports team who, you know, is always going to be the best sports team, no matter what, right? no matter what, like, let's just imagine in a parallel universe, mm -hmm. the Warriors always win. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Clay's recent injury is going to make that tricky for us, but nonetheless, let's imagine. Um, would the fans of that team be less likely to fight other people? Um, or if the viewpoint students felt no threat in any way, like would they be more likely to be fully connected? And I guess what that makes me wonder is um, if we could make it so that people felt wholly secure, would they need those tribes? Hmm. My, the, the thought that popped into my head when you were talking about, uh, do we need them? And like, it's almost like we need a common goal that we're all going for. And I think of it, I think of it as kingdoms, right? When the kingdom is is at peace, there are all sorts of problems everywhere. This person has problems with that person. There's crime over there in the streets. But when we're at war, we are all at war and we know exactly what the heck we got to do. When you see that banner flying, get to your role, fill your, fill your slot. And so it's like, maybe we don't need another, but what are, is there, is there a better way to, to bind us together? Is there a better way to, to find commonalities? Is there a better way to build a community than to point at what we're not and to fight against it? And what is it? That's the question. This is this is why they're going to pay us. I like this. <laughs> are we are we talking about practical or idealistic? I mean, I think in an so, idealistic in an idealistic sense, we could define these are the community's values. We set up a common goal. We say we're working in this direction, right? I think you know, in a in a kind of superficial way, um, this may be too touchy feely to work, but like love of learning, right? We can imagine love of learning is something that we share together um, and we can acknowledge this is the direction we're headed, right? Love of learning sort of imagines away some of the realities that our students and families and, and other people face, which is like uncertainties about college admission and uncertainties about um, a future economic world where like we're not all stable and secure. And so like love of learning can be a great ideal, 
but is it enough to overcome those other anxieties and uncertainties that we feel, right? Because those are just present. So mm -hmm. can, can we overcome the ever presence of those anxieties enough to begin to feel secure that we're all working towards this like common goal of we love learning together. Right. And, and we spend so much time with each other. I mean, now is different because we're home, et cetera. But, but I think we are still spending time together even when we're apart. Um, and especially I think it's clear when it's visualized by our presence in the same building every single day. This is something that the ninth graders in human development is like, this is the group that's going to travel with you through all four years. You're going to see each other in homeroom every single day when we're on campus until you graduate. And if we all invest in one another, if we're kind to one another, if we greet one another in the mornings, or we sit there in sort of like meh misery on our phones for a second, just spacing out, but it's a beautiful misery because we're there together because it's early and we know we'll move through it and there will be days that are better, right? Yeah. Um, then our lives are, are improved as a result. True. And that's a common goal too. True. Smell functions in my memory pretty prominently. And so all of a sudden I was just smelling omelets as you're talking about meh on our phones. I'm thinking of all the omelets that the kids bring up from Kitchen's Kitchen to homeroom. You know, I have Miss Kitchen's Kitchen. <laughs> you miss Kitchen's Kitchen? All the time. I miss yeah. Kitchen's Kitchen. <laughs> Me too. I'm I'm here every day um, working from my classroom. There are no no cookies, no fries to to bounce down to and and get me through that that lull in the the early afternoon. It's a, a tragic thing. I'm missing it. And I've never had it. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you talk about that homeroom pod because that becomes a tribe in and of itself. And I think we were just kind of getting really kind of almost existential with this idea of an other. But in if we we stay grounded when uh, we focus now on the viewpoint school community, whether we're looking for another, whether we need another or not, there's going to be an other there, right? There's going to be somebody that you don't identify with, and so it's almost like as soon as you're you're coming into the community, you have to have that mindset of okay, what am I here to do? What is the goal of being here? And if it if it it can't be independent of everyone else, right? That's, that's not the way schools work. Dr. Steiger and I talked last week about our, our classrooms. That's definitely not how our classrooms work, right? You don't, you don't really get to sit in my class and not talk to other people. I throw you in breakout rooms as a icebreaker, right? So you're always, you're always talking to other people. And so it's like, how do you navigate that other becomes a very important question. I keep leaving these things up and just kind of drop them. Um. It is a very important question. It is. And I, I think, you know, that's been sort of the subtext of everything we've been talking about is, is recognizing, you know, and there's a spectrum of what it is to be an individual and to engage with the other. And I think that example of the twins who you were talking to is the loveliest part of that spectrum, right? Like, like yeah. here is this, small difference that really affirms our individuality, at least in a way that's visualized to the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so beautiful. 
And, and, and the other obviously can be on a different end of the spectrum too, but how do we navigate the other is in all of this. It feels like everything. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking uh, off air about uh, what learning is and learning at its core is dealing with this other, right? Because you're approaching something that you have no idea about. I'm, I need you to ask questions about it. So you have to have this certain level of interest that isn't defensive. Right, because I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about me for a second. I've never studied X and you can, you can fill that, that blanket with whatever, right? I've never studied uh, uh, things that I think are, I'll just say it, right? Because it, it's messing me up. I've never studied Scientology. Why? Not because I'm interested in it and, and uh, I wanna know like what's wrong with it, I've never studied it because I feel like I disagree with it. And I'm not going to go and study something that I'm, I'm defensive about and I feel like is wrong. I respond differently to that than I would respond to something that I knew a lot about and could kind of go there with. Does that make sense? Did I just go way off? That makes perfect sense. And I actually, I'm going to make an odd tie to your example. Go for it. Um, partially because I, I feel like I there's like a putting yourself out there and giving that specific example. And I want to meet you there just to like make explicit my thought. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. And, and because I have a really bizarre connection to this. So my maiden last name is Hubbard. Mm -hmm. And if there are any alums of this podcast listening, there was a time when people believed that L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, was my uncle, um, partially because I facilitated that rumor partially because I found it entertaining. Um, and, and as a result of that overlap, not just in the viewpoint world, but just in general, because that was my last name, um, I felt a certain responsibility to understand some things about Scientology because there were times people would ask me, like, I know this is so weird, but is there any way, like, do you know? Um, and so, and I think that speaks to how it is that if we have a tie and the world might perceive that we're connected to something that first, we can feel a responsibility to understand it so we can explain it or justify. And second, how like it's, we have to get a little bit closer. Like, yeah. I was actually gonna comment, uh, I got derailed by the this Hubbard connection. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that rumor. I wish I had, that would have been fun. Um, but um, just thinking about the fact as you were as you were describing that Jacob that idea of like I, I kind of disagree with it so I'm not going to spend time learning about it I was sort of self-reflecting and wondering and I, I kind of think that if there was I kind of think I would dive in a little bit because I, I have whether it's a, a morbid curiosity or or genuine curiosity why would anyone believe something that I, I fundamentally disagreed with or I, I thought that I disagreed with I'd want to at least investigate a little bit to try to figure out what's the, where are they coming from? Mm. Is that, is that Dr. Steiger, the history professor that's super interested in everything? Or, or is that, would you have had that as a teenager as well? That, that's a really good question. That's kind of what I was self-reflecting on. Like, is this, is this part of the academic persona that grew up in adulthood? Or is this something that I always was kind of intrinsically interested in how other people thought, and, and I, I can't, I can't tell you because I didn't have that kind of self-reflection when I was, when I was a little person. So. Yeah, <laughs> when you're a little person, I like that. Um, it makes me think of how we, how we're introduced to that information, 
and how we're introduced to that idea of an other, right? Scientology came to my mind not because I'm looking at anything, but because the way it was introduced to me was very anti-Scientology. I don't remember exactly what it was. And to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you the tenets of it. I didn't know who Hubbard was before you just, just said that. Like I learned that <laughs> today years old. But just off of the way that it was introduced to me, frame my opinion about it. And so as we're talking about people finding their tribes and, and navigating this in, internal and external self, how often do, do uh, we adopt the values of the tribe and fight for them? Right. My tribe told me that Scientology, Scientology was one thing. And here I am still believing it because I've never gone out of my way to challenge that. Is that is that something that there is space for or that we should create space for? Right. To just kind of explore that. I think there's such what you're asking is such a good question. Um, in part because like my response to that is just that it requires balance mm -hmm. and and balance i think is the hardest thing to achieve in all of the categories of our lives for all of our lives it's just so tricky to find balance and especially to find balance while you're balancing all of the ways that you need to balance it's a lot um and and so some of that is when when we were initially having this scientology moment or that was like our initially our, our biggest topical focus it was making me think about what a coach might say, which brings us back to, to an earlier, earlier point about discomfort. And so if something makes you uncomfortable, what might a, a coach of a physical sport be saying mm -hmm. about how discomfort can help us grow and how we should lean into that and it makes us stronger? Mm -hmm. um, and also there's a limit to that, right? Because let's say that you heard what your tribe said and you felt like, well, I'm not going to believe them. I'm going to, to push through into this place of discomfort and really fully invest myself. Then at, at a certain point, if you really push all the way through, you could become a Scientologist, which wouldn't be ideal for you specifically, right? right. Um, and so how to find that balance between not being closed to other ideas as a result of having them espoused to you in a way that felt negative in the first place, and then also being... Um, willing to hold to some community values feels to me like why it's important that we are really in touch with ourselves and keep checking back in with ourselves and like being able to be grounded in what feels right to us. Not that we can live that always, because I think we're always being pulled in one direction or the other. And it's hard to feel forever grounded. I think that's not really a real thing, but I think if we know what stasis and peace feel like in ourselves and then we move in one direction then we can go back to ourselves and be like oh that's a little too far i need to bring back yeah i i think the balance in that is checking in with yourself mm -hmm. right and and creating creating time and intentionally protecting that time to really just kind of say okay how am i feeling you talked a little bit earlier about like how's my body feeling right now and how that was like such a foreign question to me as a teenager, but like, I get that now. And in the same time that we're checking in with ourselves, we do need to be pushing for that discomfort, right? And, and maybe that's maybe that's Coach Rivers uh, taking over for me today. Um, but that discomfort is what makes us better, right? If we're keeping with that sports analogy, the, the, when you're weight training, when you're practicing, I'm trying to push you to a breaking point so that in a game you can perform right? 
if if learning is pushing you to that breaking point, it's all to make you a better better graduate on the other side of this thing. It's all to make you a better person who's about to walk into the world and can handle the changes that are going on all around us every single day. <laughs> oh, you look like you're about to go. I was, I was waiting. Um, but yeah, and, and I think it's important that we make space for, for these kinds of conversations uh, where students can identify themselves, identify their tribe, and then explore outside of that tribe to see what they believe and what they don't believe and learn about each other in an empathetic way that brings us closer together instead of pushing some, something away because of a little bit of information that you made a large generalization off of, which is a stereotype. I think, I think that's one of the gifts in a way of us all being in community with each other is, is the fact that we have time and there's time for all of us to grow and explore. I think as teachers, when we're at the same school for a long time, we can feel the cycle of students coming in and leaving. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to have at your luckiest, really. Well, I'm more because we're a K to 12 school, but I think within our divisions, four years um, for older kids, I guess I'm not speaking to the younger ones, but like for me, I guess, four years with someone to watch them as they're evolving. And I think if there are any parents listening, the reality is that as teachers, we really love your kids mm -hmm. and, and we can hold that love for them as separate necessarily from, from some behaviors that might present themselves, right? There are moments for each of us as we're growing, when we're exploring things that might not necessarily always be in perfect alignment with our characters. Um, and I think it's a real gift to be in a place where the adult community can be watching that growth from a distance and, and lovingly say like, I believe that you will arrive at a place that's really authentic to you. And as you explore, we are here. Oh. That is as good of a place to, to close this one off as that. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, thank you so much, Kate, for, for joining us. And uh, I learned a whole bunch um, from our conversation. And Dr. Steiger runs through everything, so I, I know he got something out. Um, and words? Oh, just that it was such a pleasure. I really appreciate being included on. This was my most exhilarating afternoon in quite some time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Right. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Oh, so nice to spend time with you both.